0: Uh, so, today's uh, text uh, comes from uh, uh, Hebrews 13.8. The Word of God reads, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, We, as we turn to this portion of your Word, remind us once again, your word is everlasting, just as you are the everlasting God. From generation to generation, your word declares the, the unchanging truth. And Lord, as we come, be, uh, come under your word, may we really just receive this word with gratitude and with a conviction that this is, the, uh, this is an eternal truth. That will not change over time or uh, under different circumstances. And also open our ears and hearts to understand uh, what it really means, how it can be uh, applied to us. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the title of my message is God is Immutable, right? God is immutable. Last week, we examined uh, the truth that God is the everlasting God. Uh, and it does not simply mean uh, that He lives forever. Right? That's sometimes, oftentimes, that's what we think of when we say "Oh, God is eternal. We think that or the everlasting God, we simply think that He lives forever. But it also means that He is timeless and ageless. Now, because He has no beginning and end, that kind of figuring out how, or how long he's been around is absolutely meaningless. He has no beginning, and he has no end. So when we say God is the everlasting God, that, that means that God is eternal, and also that means that God is self-existent. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, God declares that he's the Alpha and Omega. You know, Alpha and Omega are the, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, right? just like A and Z. It's it's saying that God is the first and the last, that He is before all things, and He will continue on when all things have passed. And when we say that God is eternal, it also implies that God's reign is eternal. The kingdom of God, God reigns forever. There is not a moment in time when he he was not in charge. There was not a one second in all all throughout all eternity that, that he did not reign, that he was not in control over all, everything. Because God is eternal. His reign is eternal. And also when we say God is eternal, it also means that the word of God is eternal even though we are like the morning mist that quickly fades away the word of god will stand forever whatever that you know whatever the word of god says it will stand for for forever and god being eternal it also means that our salvation in christ is eternal and it's not just living uh, it's more than just living forever. When we uh, think about the eternal life, oh yeah, we're going to just live forever, right? But if, if we got to kind of look at it in a more, uh, in the sense of like, we will be in a state where there will be unbroken fellowship with God, eternal. That When we say we have eternal life, that our salvation is eternally secured, right? it means that we will be in His presence, unhindered, not marred by sin, that we will be in this incredible fellowship with God, beholding His glory forever and ever. You know, we uh, talk about the uh, the, law of, uh, the laws of diminishing returns, right? You guys know how, like, you know, sometimes when you're really hungry, right? The first, when you're really hungry, the first bite is the best one because... You are so hungry, right? So you just savor the first bite, whether it's a steak or what have you, right? You love it. But then, you know, as you keep eating, as your stomach gets full, it just doesn't taste the same. You you don't enjoy it as as much, right? That's that's a simple way. It's the law of diminishing returns. And so oftentimes, you know, when we, the first time is like the, it's like, it's walking on cloud nine kind of thing. We may think that even when we are, we may, we may think that the first moment that we enter into uh, to God's presence in heaven, right? we may think that first moment is the best moment. And that maybe after one trillion years later that we've been in fellowship with God, maybe we may think, oh, maybe we are kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Because you know, when we are doing the same thing over and over and over again, we get tired of it. Right? That's just law of the diminishing returns. But with God, being in that unbroken fellowship with God, being in His presence. After we have done that for one trillion years, after that, our still, our, um, you know, just the, just the sense of awe and just the, the joy of the worshiping God will never diminish. That's what eternal life is. We will be in a place we will be in an unbroken fellowship with God. Think about the moment that you, are so, you felt so close, closest to the Lord. Maybe it was the very first moment that you became a Christian, you gave your life. When you first realized that the implication of the gospel, or just maybe at a retreat, when you we were having your quiet time or something, that moment when you just felt so amazed by the presence of God, or just what God was saying to you. Think about that moment. It pales in comparison to what we will be like because we will be in this unbroken fellowship with God for all eternity. After trillions of years later, we will not ever say, "Wow, well, it's kind of getting bored. It's the same old, same old. Can we do something else, God? No, we will not be. We will be just as in all because God is so, so great that we will never have that sense of like, okay, we are doing this. It's been doing that for like 10 trillions of years. How can it not be same thing, old same thing? We won't be because that's how great God is. And we will bask in his glory. So if you just stop and think about that, I, I don't know about you, but when I think about it, it just blows my mind that after all those, just for all eternity, that there is no end. Yes, we have a beginning on this earth, but when we are in Christ Jesus for all eternity, we will be with him, enjoying, loving his presence, getting to know him, worshiping God forever and ever. What grace that we have that through Christ Jesus that we have this privilege of having the, uh, receiving the eternal life, being co-heirs with Christ, God the Son himself. So our salvation in Christ is eternal. We also talked about God is, you know, self-existent, right? It, it means, when we say God is eternal, it means he is self-existent, and it means that he does not derive his uh, existence from anyone or anything. You know, we live in a world of a cause, and, uh, cause, and effect, cause and effect, right? There is always a cause for everything, right? Car is moving because you step on the on the, on the gas pedal. I remember uh, I, I I heard uh, I wasn't there, but uh, the one time they were playing volleyball here, and then uh, the gentleman, the guy will, shall remain uh, nameless, but he had a really hard serve, and then there is a sister here who received the serve, but it came to her so fast. They hit her wrist and they went straight into her, I mean, and it hit her eye, right? And she couldn't see for uh, some time. What's the cause of it? Because of the guy, right, who served there. He had no control over it. He didn't mean to. But see, there's, everything has cause and effect. That's, it. That's the world that we live in. And basically, God is that great first cause. He caused, he's the first great cause that from him, Everything came about. He caused this entire universe to even start. And we, we were caused by him. But he was caused by no one. We exist because he wills us to exist. Without his will, none of us will be here. The real reason why we are still breathing, even at this moment, it's not because we are relatively young or because we are relatively healthy. It's because God has a purpose for each and every one of us. That's the only reason. That's the real reason that we are still alive. When Jesus' mission was accomplished, culminating on the cross, when God's purpose for him was fulfilled as our substitutionary sacrifice, meaning that he took our place of receiving God's just wrath. When that mission was fulfilled, and when Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, he breathed his last breath. And on that third day, God raised him from the dead to do the second act. But the first time, his mission was finished. It was finished, he declared. And God took took him away at least for the first part. You are alive right now because God has a purpose for you still on this earth. Do you understand? You are alive. You are breathing now even through your masks, because God has still purpose for you. So the question is, do you know God's purpose? God's purpose is for you. Uh, just, even just yesterday, I was, uh, I was having lunch with a college student, and he was asking me this exact question. I'm still trying to figure out what my purpose, what my calling is for this, in this life. Do you know the purpose? Do you know why God is giving you another breath? Are you seeking God's purpose for you? Or are you just walking around like a headless chicken, trying to keep up with the Joneses, or somehow trying to just fulfill your American dream? If you do not know, you have to really wrestle with God. You have to pray to cry out to God, God, why am I still here? Why am I still alive? You have to seek God and find the reason for your existence. You know, one of the most heartbreaking things for me to see is seeing people who live without knowing their purpose, reason for their life. They just live just because they have their herd mentality or mob mentality. They just go to school because everyone else is going to school. They are trying to get the job because everyone else is doing and you feel like you have to just somehow do these things. They just go through life going through motions without really understanding or knowing or even bothering to find out what their purpose is for their lives. Many, many years ago, I happened to see this uh, uh, interview on TV, and the guy was uh, interviewing the serial killer, death row person. But, you know, the, I don't remember much, but there was one part that just captured my eyes, and you know, he basically said, the serial killer said, I don't know why I'm still alive. I'd rather just die now. Why am I still alive? And he just said it matter-of-factly, right? He wasn't emotional or like, oh, I'm going to die. No, he just, he, and I just could see the emptiness and the void in his eyes. He really didn't know. And like, why am I still alive? And when I saw his face, it really broke my heart. There is a person who had no clue. He had all his life, Maybe he was in his 50s or something. He had no idea why he was still alive. He had no purpose. No reason to uh, go on. And how sad is that? And for me, that's uh, such a heartbreaking thing. And, And I see that from people, young people, and some old people, no reason, no purpose. You know, today's topic, the immutability of God, it's really part two of last week's message. So I kind of asked PJ, I said, hey, I didn't really get to finish this. Can I speak today? And um, he graciously, graciously, you know, just allowed me to speak. Um, you know, so, because it goes with what we talked about last week, God's uh, eternality and self-existence. Right? The word immutable comes from the Latin word. And as you may guess, it is a combination of im, it means not, right? And mutable meaning changing, So it's really, it means unchanging, constant, or even faithful. And today's passage declares that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. And when we talk about the immutability of God, it has two aspects. And the first point is that it means that God never changes in his attributes. The immutability of God means that he never changes in his attributes. God does not grow or evolve or improve because he's already perfect. When we talk about the immutability of God, we're talking about uh, the perfection of God. God is perfect, so he doesn't get any better. He cannot diminish, degenerate, or regress because if that were the case, that He would no longer be God. You know, in the in the passage that we uh, looked at last week, you know, God declares to Moses that His name is I am, who I am. It is derived uh, of the, the Hebrew word uh, verb haya, uh, meaning to be or to exist. It points not only to a uh, God's eternal nature and self existence, as we looked at last week. But it also uh, speaks to his immutability. I am who I am. He not only always is, he not only always existed, right? But he always, uh, he is always the same. Do you see the difference? Not only is he always, not only uh, he uh, he is always, but also he is always the same. He does not change. James 1.17 says every good, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, these days the Delta variant is the talk of the town, right? I mean, everybody talks about this. It, you know, became the dominant strain that makes many people really worried and because of this mutation, right, the uh, when I read the, the article yesterday, the Washington Post reports that probably the CDC find I mean, the CDC finds that even the vaccinated people are transmitting the Delta variant just as easily as the unvaccinated. And that's what's been, what they've been finding, and they're really alarmed right now. And so I think that's why there's a lot of confusion going on with the mask policy, the reversal and all these things. These variants Forced us to change our course. It forces us. Because we thought we were responding to this, and when there's a variation, we have to readjust. But there is no variation or shadow of turning with God. God does not change one bit. Who He is, His character, His purpose, His promises will never change. There is no variation. There is no like uh, slight difference. That's what it means, the immutability of God. And the second point, immutability of God means that he does not change his counsel. He does not change his counsel. He does not overrule one decree with another. He does not say, hmm, I said this, but on second thought, I'm going to say something different. No, he does not say that. He does not make a promise and then changes his vow. And I think it is very comforting for us. For us, it's like, okay, immutability of God, oh, whatever, okay? We can just, we may simply move on, but it's such a comfort. It's very comforting because the possibility of, of an almighty God, God who has absolute power, a sovereign God who is in control of all things, all of a sudden, suddenly becoming evil or becoming a tyrant or something like that, right? And there's nothing we can do about it. That will be a scary thing. Or maybe a God who is all of a sudden changing his mind. That is a scary prospect. He is the only constant. In the universe. First Samuel chapter fifteen twenty nine, um, NASB says, "God is not man that he should change his mind." We change our minds all the time, right? I remember um, uh, many many years ago uh, we were we we got this uh, you know offer in a in a from uh, Mazda and said hey if we if you have because we purchased an old uh, SUV from there and from this particular um, dealership and said hey if you come in for like a uh, test drive we'll give you $25 gift certificate I like, oh free money right so we went in and then we test drove and then but then uh, so we were driving uh, the current uh, what we have the CX-5 um, and that's what we're going to do. Oh, get, get 25 bucks. That's cool. Uh, free lunch, right? And then, but then he was saying, hey, you know, like, so what did you think about the car, the the new car that we drove? And said, yeah, we like it. But, and it was like, Are you, would you be interested? And, you know, because we were never thinking of buying it. But then, you know, just to, just to, I don't know, what got into me, I was like, hey, we'll consider it uh, if you really give us a great deal, right? And so, without any, um, without any, like, research or how much it costs or whatever, somehow we got into this price negotiation, right? I wasn't serious, right? But then, um, and I was just going crazy, like, you know, true, truecar.com, what is the, what's the, you know, the, the, the good price and all those things? And then we were just going back and forth, and, like, he, he was, like, actually, like, keep lowering the, the prices. And so I was like, oh, oh, this guy is pretty, like, willing to, to sell this car, and so before we know it, guess what? We, we drove off with a brand-new uh, CX-5. <laughs> I, we, I wasn't play, we didn't budget anything. Um, Grace was a shocked that we did that. I, I, I made an executive decision. Uh, sometimes I wear the pants in the relationship. And um, we drove off with it. And, and then even after I was driving, what, what just happened? How come I, can't, I, I got this car? We weren't even planning on it. We were, I changed my mind on a whim. I remember one time just telling this story, and uh, Sean's not here, but uh, Sean Stark, you know, he, he, uh, he was, uh, I was telling this story, and he was in a heat. You know how he's like, it's all about budgeting and just financial discipline. He rolled his eyes. I can't, you know, he didn't tell me, but he had that look at it. I can't believe you just did that. You just, no research whatsoever, and then you just actually buy a new car on the spot. See, You see, like, we change our minds all the time. But God is perfect in wisdom, and therefore, he does not err in what he decrees. He does not change his mind. He does not change his plan. Now, some of you may say, but Pastor Woodin, doesn't the Scriptures also say the opposite? Genesis chapter 6, 6, for example, it says, can we go to, yeah, verse, yeah, Genesis 6 6. Yeah, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Whoa, there, Pastor Wooden, It says, the Bible says, God regretted. He regretted. Oh man, why did I make man? Right? In uh, Exodus chapter 32, verse 9 through 14, it says this. It's a little long, but it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a s- stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me, alo- uh, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot again against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out? Uh, brought out Uh, brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say uh, with with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the, as the stars of, the, of, of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they, were, they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on His people. Whoa! Right there again, God relented. He changed His mind, but He just said, Because of the immutability of God, God does not change his mind. You are contradicting yourself. Same thing in Jonah 3.10. God relented concerning the calamity which he declared that he would bring upon the city of Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, the arch enemy of Israel. God relented even there too. Do the scriptures contradict themselves? Does God indeed change his mind? According to these verses, some verses it says God doesn't change, but here it says God changed his mind. How do we reconcile these seemingly contradicting passages? I'm glad that you asked. The answer is not as complex as you may think. It may seem. The scriptures clearly teach that God's purposes, and the promises are always the same. But that does not mean that his relationship and his feelings, his disposition toward his always changing people cannot vary. His purpose, his attributes, who he is, his character, will not change. But because we are always changing, we change our minds, we flip the switch about face, these things. So the way he relates to us, the way he deals with us, his disposition toward us, this changing people, does mean that it cannot vary. You know, Genesis 6-6 is really talking about God's holy response to man's sin. And it's like he is grieving the fact that man's been, you know, just like uh, rebellious, constantly just disobeying God, doing their own thing, breaking his, his, you know, uh, laws, right? So he's making his determination to blot out men from the face of the earth. So he's really just talking about because of our sinfulness that God is grieving. That's what he's talking about. In Exodus chapter 32, the the, the long passage that I just read, God relented or changed his mind regard to Israel's destruction as a gracious response, gracious answer to Moses' prayer. Moses said, please, Lord, please do not destroy these people. You are the one with great power that you brought them out of Egypt. And now if you wipe them out, right? what would the egyptians say Huh? see look at their god their god is so evil that they brought brought them out of uh, brought them out of egypt and then he just like wiped them out in the wilderness think about the promise you made to our forefathers abraham isaac and jacob or israel you made them. you made a promise think about your promise so god Relents because of the desperate, urgent prayer and plea from Moses. And he's appealing also to the promise that God has made to his, uh, his forefathers. And it is a prayer that really God led. And God enabled and empowered Moses to pray in such manner. And then he, quote-unquote, changed his mind. What they justly deserved, God graciously decides not to punish them for their wickedness. And in Jonah 3, God simply relented from destroying Nineveh when Nineveh turned from their wicked ways. So once again, God sends Jonah to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, and said, if, unless you repent, there will come, there is an impending judgment and you guys will be destroyed. And to Jonah's dislike and just like, you know, shock, that actually they listened and they repented. So the, The punishment or the destruction that God said he would bring upon them, God chooses to withdraw because these people repented before God. See, these passages are a reminder that actually, the immutability of God does not mean immobility. That's what Paul Washer says. Immu- immutability does not mean immobility. He does not change, but he's not static or apathetic and uninvolved with his creation. He's dynamic and he interacts with his creation. He is always the same. His character, his attribute. His promises, his purposes do not change. But his relationship and his dealings with us, who are fickle, will vary according to how we respond to him. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 10. Do we have that passage? Jeremiah chapter Uh, 18 verses 7 through 10? Oh, you don't have that? I'm sorry. Um, So, let me just quickly, sorry about that. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. Uh, 18 verses 7 through 10, it says this. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. You see, God's purpose will remain the same. His decrees will remain the same. But that does not mean that no matter what happens to us, if we repent, God will say, Oh, too bad. Okay, already just will that you, dis- you be destroyed. No. God will depend on how we respond, God will graciously chooses not, He will choose not to uh, bring upon us what we justly deserve. So it's not a contradiction to his immutability, but proof of it. He will always respond to man's actions in a manner consistent with his unchanging attributes. It is important to understand that God's immutability not only depends on his perfection, because, you know, as we talked about, it's because he's perfect, he doesn't change. The moment he changes... It uh, means he's not. He, he, that means that he's not perfect, but it also means immutability. Also means not only is he perfect, but he is also. It, it uh, depends on his power. God would not be immutable if there existed some being or power greater than himself that could coerce him, or could to, uh, that could somehow manipulate him. Then right? he can Then he will have to change. But the fact that he is all powerful and he's a perfect God, that's why he's immutable. Like Roger Federer, right, uh, was considered, uh, now these days, now uh, there's a debate, but, you know, leading up to recent, until recently, he was considered the greatest tennis player ever. Right? He won 20 like grand slams for many, you know, tennis players, they only dream of even winning one. But then uh, along came... Uh, Sorry, it's this tennis uh, illustration. Rafael Nadal came along, and he was a lefty, and the way he played was so different from any other player that he has played before. So he, had to, he was forced to change his tactic just because of that one player that gave him so much problem. And he later says that, you know, Rafael Nadal made, uh, made me a much better player because if he wasn't there, he was just the way he was. He didn't have to change a thing, and he would dominate the tennis world, but because of him, just the way he played, his style and everything forced uh, Roger Federer to change. So there is even just the, the debate between Rafael Nadal, you know, uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, Roger Federer, you know, who, who, is, who is the greatest? There's a, a debate going on. But even the greatest player had to change it's because there was another one that was just as dominant as he was. He had to change his tactics, change his game. But God, because there is no one even can, 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 no one that comes even close, he doesn't need to change. When we say God is immutable, it also means not only is God perfect, but he is all-powerful because there is no other being that can just force him to change his course, change the way he does things. So what does this all mean? What is the implication? God is the only one worthy of our absolute trust. You know, it's frustrating to deal with people who keep changing their minds, right? If your boss or co-worker keeps moving the goalpost, you'll be like, man, I can't really trust that guy. I can't really trust my boss or I cannot trust my coworker. Like They keep changing things around. It will be so frustrating. You can't really trust those people. When someone breaks the promise or does not honor his or her word, his or her credibility gets, gets, gets hit, right? When a witness is found being uh, untruthful in his testimony, he's no longer deemed trustworthy, and he will be dismissed from the case, even though he may be a star witness or whatever, if he's found to be changing his testimony, is like, oh, okay, you are not trustworthy. Think about it, who earns your trust? People who are consistent, who make good of their promise, people who are really honest, people who are consistent. Those are the people that you would trust even in your you know, relationships. But in the end, people will let you down. Even the most trustworthy person that you ever known. Maybe it may be your parents, it may be your best friends. But no one that will, in the end, will let you down because they are not perfect. They are not all-powerful. No one is considered absolutely trustworthy. But God is. He is absolutely worthy of our wholehearted trust because He is immutable. His purpose, His word, His counsel, they do not change. You know, in today's society, the Supreme Court is one of the few institutions that people still respect and trust. They decide on constitutional matters that have far reaching consequences. So the court weighs the arguments, pros and cons, very seriously. And with thorough deliberation, the Supreme Court makes decisions. But even some of the uh, Supreme Court decisions get overruled by subsequent decisions. I saw a decision made in 2011, that got overruled in 2015. So we're not just talking about some old decisions from 100 years ago right, that, that got overturned. Even the Supreme Court go back on their decisions. When God says something, it remains the same, regardless of time, culture, or any circumstances. God is the only one we can completely trust. And yet, we don't. We trust our own gut feelings, our own wisdom. Maybe even we trust our retirement account even more than what God says. Do you really trust God for everything? Do you really trust Him? Every word that he's, uh, that is in the, in, in the Scriptures, do you really trust this more than what your logic says, more than what other people are saying, what the social media or the press media is saying, what the Netflix is saying. Do you trust God? God never changes. His word never ch- will never change. Let us not run to other things. Let us not run to people, whether it be even our own families spouses, our children, hang our hat on those people. Let us run to God and trust Him with all of our hearts. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord and just take a moment to come before Him and just examine our hearts before Him. Um, That we would um, really, let's pray that we would have a greater measure of faith. Are there still areas in your life that you do not fully trust God with? Whether it be your job situation, maybe your marriage, maybe you are single and you are getting nervous because you don't know when or you don't have any prospect. You don't see anyone that can possibly, that you will be able to relate to or pursue. Or maybe you are a parent. And you desperately want your kids to thrive and succeed, but you try to do things. To make sure they get the best education, but along the way that you may neglect following God. Do you really trust God? God is eternal, and God is immutable. He never has changed His word, His promise. Ever, for thousands of years, no one can ever accuse God of changing or not fulfilling His promises. Of course, there are promises that God has not fully fulfilled yet, but God has not truly broken His promise. It is us who keep running away from Him, walking away from Him, depending on other people and things. Make it work. So let's go before the Lord. Let's pray that we would have a greater measure of trust and faith in God. We would trust in this amazing God.